Good morning. This morning's message is Noah's faith and patience. This morning we're going to look into the story of Noah and hopefully see why the author of Hebrews uses him as an example of faith and patience for the Hebrew baby believers. The author of Hebrews told his readers in chapter 10 that they needed to have continuing faith and confidence and patience in order to apprehend God's promises to them. We can see this in verse 35 and 36 of chapter 10. 35 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which would be faith in Jesus and his sacrifice, which hath great or mega recompense of reward. The word translated as recompense of reward carries the idea of being rewarded or paid for a particular work. In other words, it is a reward according to one's works. This, of course, can sometimes upset some grace people because they have incorrectly believed that grace is only for those who do not work. <laughs> they don't see how faith and grace work together to bring forth a reward. Our faith in God's promises will bring forth a corresponding action. A work, an action, something in me wants to perform what God has told me to do. So when I believe, I will act. And sometimes people think believing is sitting on your hiney doing nothing. <laughs> and what we're going to see is that's not how God recognizes faith. It's just not me saying, well, I believe. If I believe, that belief will cause an action. My faith will put my feet to work. Now, we have to remember that our author is speaking to born-again baby believers who had been wobbling in their faith in Jesus and the cross as being sufficient for their righteousness. And this wobbling did not undo their salvation, but it was causing them to consider making decisions that would cost them their lives by forfeiting their promised deliverance. Now, what was it that was tempting them to give up on Jesus and go back into Judaism? <laughs> Continued persecution, and maybe even worsening persecution. And their constant persecution was wearing them out. And they didn't want to continue to wait for God's miraculous deliverance. So they were tempted to stop believing in what Jesus had promised and begin to take matters into their own hands by going back into Judaism for protection and relief. Verse 36 says, For ye have need... And that word there, if you look it up, means to employ. You need to employ. You need to put something to work. <laughs> you need to employ patience, cheerful endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, I like that part. <laughs> after you've done the will of God, which in this case would mean believing and acting on the revealed truth of Jesus and his finished work of salvation, ye might receive the promise. The author is trying to get them to let go of doubt, to let go of the wobbling. Am I right with God? Am I not right with God? I sinned today. I fell short. Is God mad? Because under the old covenant, God was mad. 
<laughs> Under the new covenant, Jesus took all the mad. So we don't have to worry about God being mad. He only wants to help us to stop falling down. <laughs> he wants to help us to be totally convinced in our heart so that we can act on what's in our heart. So he says that you might receive the promise. And the receiving or apprehending of the promise would be the reward or payment of their faith. Now, we don't actually buy anything. <laughs> you got to think about what it takes to apprehend. God rewards our faith. Faith enables him to help us take hold of what he's promised. We can't take hold of what he's promised apart from him. <laughs> it is always the work of God in us. Again, there's that word, work. Working is not a dirty word. <laughs> we just don't earn things the way the old covenant did. They earned their forgiveness, so to speak, by what they did. The author is preparing his reader to understand that faith is not passive. A fully persuaded heart will bring forth a corresponding action or work based on God's word to them. And it's only after they act on that faith that the promise will be apprehended. One of the things I've learned over the years is that Satan will always try to derail believers from apprehending their promises simply by tempting them to accept an easier alternative to what was promised. An alternative that doesn't require waiting on God, which is exactly what Satan was doing to the Hebrew baby believers, tempting them to give up on Jesus, give up on apprehending what God had promised, and go back into Judaism as a way of providing their own deliverance, their own safety. They decided to do God's job <laughs> instead of believing God to do his job. This would be very much like Abraham and Sarah trying to make the promise of a son come to pass in their own strength and thereby begetting an Ishmael. Only this Ishmael, this fruit of self-effort, would cost these Hebrew baby believers their lives. These Hebrew baby believers would not be able to resist this temptation of going back into Judaism as a way of saving their lives unless unless they let the voice of Holy Spirit fully persuade and convince their heart that faith in Jesus as the Lamb of God was all they needed for continual right standing with God. And then, as they continued to listen to the voice of Holy Spirit, he would lead them to will and to do of their Father's good pleasure, which was to escape the judgment that would soon destroy all of Jerusalem, including the temple. In order to apprehend this great rescue, they had to continue to place their faith in Jesus alone and then to patiently wait for the opportunity to escape to appear. That's always the hard part, the waiting. <laughs> and they didn't know exactly how long it would, they would have to wait. So they had to simply continue to trust what Jesus told his believers. Jesus told them that when Jerusalem was surrounded by armies, that that's when the escape route would be made apparent. That sounds crazy. <laughs> when everything looks like it can't get any worse. 
<laughs> when there's no way you can save yourself now, you got to step out and trust Jesus. When everything in the natural looks like it's doom and gloom and destruction is imminent, that's when they were to act on their faith and get up and leave Jerusalem in a safety that God had already provided for them. But they couldn't apprehend that safety and escape if they didn't continue to believe what Jesus had said. That's the point. <laughs> in order to apprehend, you have to continue to believe and act on that belief. And of course, history bears witness to the fact that they did exactly what God purposed for them to do. And all the believers in Jesus did escape to safety because of God's invisible hand orchestration had made an obvious way of escape. The general of the Roman army suddenly and apparently without reason stopped attacking Jerusalem and withdrew leaving a space of time for all the believers in Jesus to get out of town. <laughs> it didn't look like there was any rhyme or reason to what this general did, but God. According to historians, not even one Christian, now that's amazing, the historians tell us this, not even one Christian died when destruction came. They had already all left town because they believed the words of Jesus and they trusted him to bring his promise to pass, even when it didn't look or feel like it would. Again, faith always involves not seeing. <laughs> faith always involves not seeing with our physical eyes how God will bring his word to pass. We simply continue to believe God and trust in him because we know him because we know he's faithful. And as he reveals himself to us and his truth to us, he persuades us that he is entirely faithful to his word. He will bring his promise to pass in our lives if, if we continue to operate by faith and step out on God's word and do what God leads us to do. Again, staying home and sitting on your hiney is not faith. <laughs> We have to cooperate with God. And this is why the author of Hebrews brings up Noah as an example of someone who operated in faith and patience while waiting on God's timing to provide the way of escape from the coming judgment. Now, Noah only gets one verse in the book of Hebrews, and it's found in chapter 11, verse 7. I have it for you in the King James. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things, not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. This, of course, is simply a synopsis of Noah's much larger story, which we're going to take a, a little bit of a look at here. The story of Noah and his faith and patience begins in Genesis chapter 6 with verse 1. I have it for you in the Lexham English Bible, and I like it because it uses God's name instead of God's title. Verse 1. And it happened that when humankind began to multiply on the face of the ground, daughters were born to them. Then the sons of God saw that the daughters of humankind, that they were beautiful, and they took for themselves wives from all that they had chose. And Yahweh said, my spirit shall not abide with humankind forever in that he is flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. 
Because mankind had grown so corrupt and so violent, God decided to limit the scope of their corruption and violence by limiting how long a human being could live. Evil doesn't lessen with age. Instead, it grows in its depth and scope. Usually when a criminal, <laughs> he can be a little baby criminal, <laughs> and as he continues in his life of crime, his crimes get worse and worse and worse. That's true for anything that has possession of you. It would get worse and worse and worse. Verse 4. The Nephilim were upon the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went into the daughters of humankind and they bore children to them. Nephilim are usually referred to the giants that were believed to be half-human, daughters of men, sons of God, fallen angels. Angels who knew what they were doing in complete rebellion to God, just like Satan, and decided, we want this. <laughs> Even though we're not supposed to have it, we want this. And so they decided to have human wives and human children. These human-slash-fallen angel people, the Nephilim, were considered to be tyrants and bullies of great strength and great depravity, who genetically, as well as morally, corrupted mankind, which is the reason for the flood. Verse 5, And Yahweh saw that the evil of humankind was great upon the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was always only evil. Wow. <laughs> only evil. Verse 6, And Yahweh regretted that he had made mankind on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. I love this verse. Man's corruption did not make God mad. Man's corruption made God sad. It broke his heart. But as a righteous God, Yahweh had to do what was right, and that was to put a stop to all this evil and violence that was continually taking place. Verse 7, And Yahweh said, I will destroy humankind whom I have created from upon the face of the earth. From humankind, to animals, to creeping things, and to the birds of heaven. For I regret, I am sorry, that I have made them. God's regret or sorrow came from how humanity treated each other. Makes God sad. <laughs> how they treated the rest of his creation. Abusing it. Made him sad. And how they utterly abandoned him. Which is the thing that makes him the most sad. So God decided to make a clean slate for the world and save both mankind and the rest of his living creation through the faith and patience of one man, Noah. The first time Noah is mentioned is in chapter 5 of Genesis, beginning with verses 28 and 29. And it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, this one shall relieve us from our work and from the hard labor of our hands and from the ground which Yahweh had cursed. Noah's name meant comfort and or rest. And Lamech, who was Methuselah's son, may have suspected that in some way God was going to use Noah to bring comfort and rest and relief to mankind from the curse placed upon the ground. Some scholars speculate that he may have known that after the judgment came upon unbelievers, that the eating of meat would be introduced, and thereby relieving farmers from having to provide so many people with plants and vegetables. Now, Jesus is actually the only one 
who brought forth an actual reversal of the curse caused by sin. God used Noah as a type and shadow to reveal how God would use one man to crush the head of the serpent by destroying his power and to begin again to make all things new. Now, in my last message, we saw that Enoch walked with God. And he received a revelation from God that God was going to bring a judgment upon this world that had grown so evil and corrupt when his son Methuselah died. And one of the reasons we know this is because of what he named his son. Methuselah means his death shall bring judgment. So we know that the judgment and the timing of the judgment was already known, at least by Enoch and Methuselah and Lamech, (laughs) and was passed on to Noah. This judgment would take place after Methuselah died. And, of course, it's just like God to wait as long as possible before bringing judgment upon sinful men. So Methuselah lived 969 years. He was the longest living human being, which shows us that God is patient with sinful man and gives him plenty of opportunity to seek him and his grace, his absolutely free loving kindness. And this is exactly the predicament of the Hebrew baby believers. They knew there was a judgment coming in which their entire world would be destroyed. Their entire world had always been Jerusalem and the temple. But if they wanted to escape the coming judgment, they would have to place their faith in God's word and in God's provision of a way of escape, which was faith and trust in Christ and his word to them. And they too would then have to wait on God's timing, the same way Noah did. So they too would have to employ cheerful endurance or patience in order to see their promise come to pass. And then they would have to act on their faith when the escape hatch became apparent in order to participate in their physical redemption. They could have said, oh, look, (laughs) we might be able to escape, but I'm too afraid. (laughs) I think I'll stay right here (laughs) and wait it out. (laughs) And they would have died. Faith always does what God says to do. The circumstances of the Hebrew baby believers very much mirrored Noah's circumstances. The world, as they had always known it, was about to come to an end, literally. And if they wanted to escape the coming judgment, they would have to act on what God had told them to do. They would have to step out in faith and leave everything and everybody behind, just like Noah did. Now, baby believers in general can often have a magic wand mentality. (laughs) They tend to think that God will accomplish everything without their faith and cooperation, which is simply not true. God doesn't do our part. God does his part. (laughs) He he wants us to cooperate with him. We are saved by grace, his absolutely free loving kindness. That's grace. We are saved by grace, but how do we receive it? How do we take possession of it? By faith. By letting Holy Spirit persuade our heart that God is that good. Grace is what God's goodness has provided. And faith is believing and acting on the truth of that goodness. So both Noah and the Hebrew baby believers needed to step out in faith, trusting in God's goodness, 
and do what God had called them to do in order for them to escape the coming judgment and to participate in their physical redemption. God's grace provided the way of escape, but it was faith that enabled them to cooperate with God and to eventually apprehend what God's grace had already provided. Faith is really not for stuff. Faith is for grace. You see, we can believe easy when God says, absolutely free. <laughs> it's yours as long as you believe it and receive it. Believe and receive. It's free. That's grace. But you know what we don't have? We don't have grace righteousness. The Bible says we have faith righteousness. Because God has provided by grace salvation, but that salvation doesn't become ours until we believe and receive. So we have a faith righteousness. God doesn't just go around waving magic wands getting people saved. <laughs> We'd like it to be that way sometime. That's not what he does. He offers people salvation. But they have to believe, receive, and choose it. They have to choose it. They have to operate in faith. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 8, For Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of Yahweh. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man without defect in his generations. And if you look all those up in the Hebrew, it basically comes to the conclusion that he had integrity and he was uncorrupted by the world he lived in. I love that. Because it's so easy to let the world and its thinking and its believing and its ways of doing things corrupt our faith and make us doubt and wobble. <laughs> he was a man of integrity. He was uncorrupted by the corrupted world. But why was he uncorrupted? It tells us. Because Noah walked with God. And Noah walked with God in the same way that his grandfather Enoch walked with God. By faith, by being fully persuaded in their hearts of the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. They knew God, and they lived in relationship with God, and then they trusted God with their lives, which in turn caused their lives to bear witness to the reality of God and his integrity and honesty. And so it is with us. The more we know him, the more he bears witness in us and through us to the world of his reality. Verse 7 of chapter 11 in Hebrews tells us that Noah was warned by God of things not seen as yet. Again, faith always requires not seeing. <laughs> by faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his house. We can see this conversation in Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 13. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth was filled with violence because of them. Now look, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of cypress wood. You must make the ark with rooms. Then you must cover it with pitch inside and outside. After that, God goes on to tell him how big the ark should be, and how many decks it should have. He also tells them that he needs to bring male and female pairs of animals into the ark to preserve their species through the flood. And God then also tells him that he needs to stock up on food for both the animals and his family. 
But God doesn't tell us in Scripture how long all of this will take. For years, I heard ministers say that it took 120 years to build the ark. But Scripture doesn't tell us that. <laughs> For years, I heard ministers say that it never rained before the flood. But Scripture doesn't tell us that. What Scripture does tell us is that Noah was 500 years old when he started to have kids. He was 600 years old when the flood happened. And somewhere in between there, <laughs> God told him to build an ark. So we don't actually know how long Noah took to build the ark. We also don't know who helped him build it. It could have been that when his children grew into adults, they helped him. Or it could be that he hired people to help him. Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot of details. <laughs> but what we do know is that Noah had up to 100 years to get this all accomplished. Also, where does this idea of there never being any rain before the flood come from? Have you heard that one? Never rained. Okay. Does scripture say that? No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it does come from the second chapter of Genesis, beginning with verse 4. These are the generations of heaven and earth when they were created in the day that Yahweh God made earth and heaven. Before any plant of the field was on earth. There's no plants. Before any plant of the field had sprung up. Because Yahweh, God, had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Why? Because there was no human being to cultivate the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Obviously, this period of time was before God had finished creation. <laughs> so Adam wasn't even there yet <laughs> to take care of the garden. So this puts the no rain period of time in the time period before the fall of man. <laughs> the garden was perfect. And then they had to leave because they weren't. So this does not say that it never rained after God created Adam and Eve. Part of Adam's original job was to tend and keep the garden. In other words, he would be a farmer, which makes perfect sense because they were only allowed to eat plants. <laughs> the eating of meat didn't start until after the flood. So it may have rained prior to the flood. We don't know. But what we do know is that, that there had never been a worldwide flood that would destroy everything living on the earth, except for those who were righteous by faith and who also chose to act on what God told them. Again, Hebrews 11:7 tells us that Noah was moved with fear. In other words, he believed what God said, even though he had never seen a flood. <laughs> and it's very unlikely that he ever built a giant boat before. <laughs> but he believed what God said. He had every confidence that what God said would happen would indeed happen even though he had never seen anything like it before. Noah knew in his heart that the judgment would definitely come. And knowing this, he moved in accordance with what God had told him to do, so that he and his family would not receive a judgment that did not belong to them. Again, it was up to them. He knew Noah's heart and that he knew Noah would obey. God promised to take them safely through the judgment if Noah, by faith, continued to do what God told him to do. There was no magic wand for this giant ark. <laughs> I 
This situation also mirrors that of the Hebrew baby believers. Jesus had told his believers that the unbelieving Jews would reap the judgment they had rightfully earned through their continual spiritual adultery, their utter abandonment of God, and their rejection of God's only way of salvation, faith in Jesus and his finished work. But believers in Jesus, who were already righteous by faith in Jesus, would be able to participate in this great physical deliverance that would happen just prior to the physical judgment falling on Jerusalem. And this is exactly what we see in Genesis. Noah was patiently waiting on God as he also worked in accordance with his faith to build this gigantic boat that would be the means of his and his family's and most of the animal kingdom's physical salvation. And it was the building of this boat that was the means by which the rest of the unbelieving world was condemned. This is very much like what Jesus said in John chapter 3. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This very much parallels what happened with God and Noah, (laughs) because God so loved the ancient world too that he commissioned the building of an ark, so that whosoever believed in God could apprehend the righteousness that is by faith, And then by faith, they could enter into the safety God would physically provide through Noah's ark. Unfortunately, none but Noah and his family believed. So only Noah and his family survived. Noah provides the Hebrew baby believers with an example of someone who lived and walked with God by faith. And how his faith enabled him to patiently wait for God's timing to come to pass whereby the judgment would fall on those who were unbelieving, but not on those who believed. Not on those who were made righteous by faith. Noah was not looking and waiting for his spiritual salvation. He walked with God. He was looking and working and waiting for his and his family's physical salvation. This was really important for the Hebrew baby believers to connect with, because they also knew that there was a judgment that would come upon the unbelieving, the unrighteous, because they knew that there was a judgment that would come upon the unbelieving Jews eventually. But they didn't know exactly when. They only knew that it would be sometime before 40 years was up from when Jesus originally said it. 40 years sounds like a really long time to wait. And it's unlikely that a lot of people who were there the day that Jesus said that were still alive. 40 years later. But there were some. (laughs) So 40 years sounds like a really long time to wait. Unless you start comparing your wait time with that of Noah's. (laughs) Noah spent many, many years constructing the ark, even though we don't know exactly how many years. Some scholars guesstimate that it was between 50 and 75 years. And that's a really long time to wait especially when the whole corrupted and violent world doesn't like you or your boat or your proclamation regarding the coming judgment. (laughs) 
And so it was for the Hebrew baby believers. Nobody liked them either. (laughs) Nobody liked their Jesus or their proclamation of a coming judgment upon Jerusalem. So the Hebrew baby believers needed to identify with Noah and realize that no matter how long it takes for God to bring his promise to pass, it will always be worth it. (laughs) And Noah didn't just have to wait while he prepared the ark. He also had to wait while he was in the ark. (laughs) And we can see this in Genesis chapter 7 and verses 1 and 4. Then Yahweh said to Noah, Go, you and all your household, into the ark, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. And verse 4. For within seven days I will send rain upon the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will blot out all the living creatures that I have made from upon the face of the ground. So, once everything and everybody were inside the ark, God told Noah that he had to wait seven more days. (laughs) More waiting, God! (laughs) It would be seven more days before the rain would start. And then it would rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah had to even wait for the rain to start, not just for the rain to end. Now, the rain alone was not enough to flood the earth. And we can see this in verses 10 through 12 in chapter 7. And it happened that after seven days, the waters of the flood came over the earth. In the 600th year of the life of Noah, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day all the springs of the great deep were split open, and the windows of heaven were opened. And rain came upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And then, after the rain was finished, what did he get to do? Wait some more. (laughs) The rain was finished, but the flood wasn't. So Noah had to wait and wait and wait some more. He had to wait for all the flood waters to recede. And scholars say that all in all, Noah was in the ark for approximately a year before God released them into a brand new world with a brand new beginning and with a brand new promise that they didn't have to wait for. The promise that God would never again destroy the world with a flood. I think it's very fitting for the author of Hebrews to use Noah as an example of someone who was right in the eyes of God because of his faith in him. Noah didn't have any laws to keep in order to be found as righteous. It was all about his trust and faith in God. Noah had faith in God because he and God were always talking to each other. You read all the conversation. This story is a big story. It's a lot of conversation. (laughs) They had a relationship. It's easy to believe in somebody you know. It's easy to trust someone you know is trustworthy. And this was important for the Hebrew baby believers to remember because the author had told them that they had become dull of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, they had started well, but they kept listening to the law, and they kept listening to Moses. They kept listening to their friends and relatives and enemies. (laughs) They said, no, Jesus isn't enough. They had stopped having that regular fellowship with God. Because that was true, they were in danger of forfeiting their promise. Because their hearts were not fully persuaded 
of the truths of the new covenant or the promise of their God-orchestrated rescue. These Hebrew baby believers were wobblers in their faith, and they needed to take the time to let the Holy Spirit speak into their hearts and convince them to trust God. Also, I think Noah is a perfect example of those who inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. (laughs) I don't think anyone else in Scripture did as much waiting as he did. And waiting for Noah would not have been just watching the passing of time. It would have been time spent with God and listening to him. Faith doesn't just sit down and do nothing. Faith looks to God and seeks to hear him again and again and again. And then once our heart is convinced of that truth, the truth of our promise, then we can act on that promise. When we're waiting for a promise of God to come to pass in our lives, we need to be aware that Satan will always try to apply pressure to our hearts through difficult circumstances or through friends and relatives and enemies (laughs) to try to get us to stop trusting God and let go of our promise. This is where the Hebrew baby believers lived. They were constantly pressured by persecution to stop trusting in Jesus and to try to make their promise of rescue come to pass in their own strength. So they needed to be reminded that they couldn't bring their promise to pass in their own strength. Only God can do what God can do. They needed to remember that Noah apprehended his promise because he continued to place his faith in God. And faith in God would provide the patience. We don't really like the word patience, do we? (laughs) We can't come up with patience by ourselves. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. He gives us the faith to operate in patience. (laughs) So these Hebrew babies, believers, need to remember that this is how they would apprehend their promise that God had made to them. Noah is a big story. So when I saw that we were going to be heading into Noah, it's like, it's a huge story. You can't get it all in. And I was like, Lord, how do I make this bite-sized? He said, the author of Hebrews doesn't tell the whole story. He told them the parts that would help the Hebrew baby believers believe that if Noah could do it, they could do it. Because Noah had it a lot worse than they did. (laughs) Noah was all by himself and his family. He had nobody else to help him believe. He had to trust fully in his God. And that is exactly what the Hebrew baby believers needed to do and to remember. And the truth is, the same is true for us. Whatever our promises are, whatever God is leading us to enter into, it is when we trust him and act on what he tells us to do that that thing will manifest. We have to let God do what only God can do. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the book of Hebrews and for all of the examples of people who had extraordinary lives because they trusted in you, because they knew you, and because you were at work on their behalf all of the time. We thank you, Father God, that work is not a dirty word. (laughs) No, we don't work for our promises. We work because of them. 
we labor to do what God has called us to do so that he can manifest what only he can manifest. We thank you, Father God, that you call us to be co-operators with you, even as we are also co-heirs with Christ. It is always his power, his wisdom, his goodness, his everything that he shares with us. And Father God, we thank you that Christ is always in us working, (laughs) working to convince our hearts to see the truth of how good you are, how good he is, how real you are in us and through us. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 833-632-1315, or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.